If you'll take your Bibles and you'll turn to Luke chapter 10 today, we're continuing in our series called I Love My City. And last week we answered some questions as we began the series. Um, what do you mean, love my city? And uh, are we even supposed to love our city? Is that what God wants for us to love our city? And we discovered that it is what he wants. Also want to let you know today, if you have a tablet or a phone, you can follow along in the Bible app. Uh, we have notes and scriptures that are there for you as well. If you'd like to follow along there, as well as you can post things on social media or on all the social media apps. Uh, love for you to find us and connect with us there. So we discovered last week that, that loving our city is okay, that God's not opposed to it. He's okay with it. In fact, he tells us that the two greatest commands are to love the Lord your God with everything that you have, all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. But then like that, equal to that command is love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we, one thing we discovered last week is that cities, God loves cities because they're full of people. They're full of, of people that are our neighbors. And so God loves our cities. It's okay for us to love our city. And we looked at how we can do that. In fact, we read scriptures last week from Isaiah 58 where it talked about how we can be busy, busy, busy going about the work of God and being so heavenly minded, spiritual minded that we're of no earthly good because we're neglecting the needs that are around us in our community. People that are in need and have real tangible needs that we could meet. We read from the New Testament how Jesus taught us that we're to be the salt and the light. A city on the hill for all to see. That we have to let our light shine before men so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So God loves our city. He loves people. And we have to love our city as well. And so we showed a video clip last week. I'm not going to show it every week, but I want to show it to you again because it sets a great tone for where we're going today. And, and some of you may not have, have seen it and received it. Uh, or taken, been able to enjoy it, appreciate it last week. And so I uh, want to show it again. But basically this video clip to me perfectly illustrates how sometimes God says, hey, love your neighbor. And we look at each other and we look at God and we say like, what neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Which we're going to get into today. So once again, check out this video clip. If you saw it last week, I don't apologize. You'll enjoy it twice. Oh, we're all in the same town, too, but you're right next to him. He's never going to borrow anything. <laughs> 
And they're not skin issues, they're sin issues. But Jesus, he continues with something even, even more than just the simple race issues here. He says, the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus said, go and do likewise. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to love our city and to love our neighbor. If Jesus says that the two most important commands are to love God with everything we have, and to love our neighbor as ourself, then how do we neighbor? What does the story of the Good Samaritan mean to us today in 2019 in Laramie, Wyoming? I think when we break down this parable that Jesus is telling, there's some interesting things that we can learn and discover. Theologians have debated for hundreds of years the question of why did Jesus use the example of a priest and a Levite, and there's all kinds of different possibilities and even some conspiracy theories that you can look into later if you want to know some more behind-the-scenes stuff. But what we do know is this. Jesus sets the scene for this story in a place that it would have been very familiar to everyone that was hearing the story and now probably familiar to Jacob and Josh after this last week of spending some time around uh, the area as well. The road from Jericho, and this is not ancient Jericho. This is actually a city that was built by King Herod. Uh, this road from, from Jericho to Jerusalem was one that people knew well. It was 18 miles long. Imagine starting at Vitavu and coming into Laramie. It's about uh, an equivalent distance. But this road was a rough one that passed through the desert and rocky country. And from Jericho to Jerusalem was a descent of 3,300 feet, probably similar in a lot of ways to that same road we're talking about from Vitavu back to Laramie. The road was frequently taken by priests and Levites, many of whom lived in Jericho and traveled to Jerusalem because of their temple duties. This was also a road that was frequented by robbers because of, of the nature of it. And so this scenario that Jesus is telling, it's not far-fetched. It could have been taken from, from the previous day's news. Who knows? This was a very common situation. Priests and Levites commonly traveled the road. Robbers commonly took advantage of people on the road. And so uh, the, these travelers were often attacked and beaten and robbed, just like the story that Jesus told. But we, what we notice is the response in this situation by the other travelers. First, Jesus tells of the priest that saw the man that passed to the other side of the street. Why? How could a priest have done that? How could he have seen the need and not helped? He saw the man and passed to the other side and left him there for dead, the Bible says. This is the preacher. He's supposed to stop and help, right? This is someone that we expect to be a good neighbor. Well, one explanation is the priest may have had a desire to help but the law of Moses actually gives ex ex explicit instructions for a priest not to touch a dead corpse. The priest likely had no way of knowing if the man was dead or not. So pop, maybe out of, out of convenience or, or not wanting to take the risk, uh, if he became unclean by touching his body, he'd have to undergo an elaborate cleansing process that would last seven days. And as a priest, he would then be useless for the entire week. The temple would be short-staffed. It would put the community and the temple into a frustrating position. So maybe, possibly, people have said that for the priest, this was the most practical response to avoid becoming unclean. The second person that Jesus talks about 
It sees the need as a Levite. And although the Levite was possibly also en route to the temple, he wouldn't have had a strict restrict, uh, restrictions and his role in the temple would not have been as, as vital. In a lot of ways, what Jesus is saying here is everyone from the most religious, from the priest that's on his way to the temple, to the ordinary common man. In fact, many have said that possibly this teacher of the law, commonly these were Levites. Maybe Jesus is giving an example from the, from the most religious leader to even a person like you, a Levite. This is more of the common man on the street. The Levite came to the same place in the road as the priest. He saw the same man who'd been robbed, beaten, and stripped of his clothes and left half dead. And he also passed to the other side of the road. Why? Why didn't he help? This person didn't even have the excuse of being unclean. Well, so today what we want to do is we want to look at reasons that may have kept them from responding. But also we want to look at the reasons, the exact same reasons that often keep us from responding because we look at the situation. We look at a priest and a Levite who did nothing and left someone there half dead and we get outraged. We say, how could they possibly do that? All the while not recognizing that in our world around us today, there's people that are in a ditch. There's people that are in need that we have the ability to neighbor. And oftentimes we choose maybe not to walk across the street away, but we don't walk across the street to the need. Today we're going to look at some reasons why. One of the worst lies that we tell ourselves and each other is that it's the thought that counts. The first reason that possibly they didn't help and that we don't help today is intentions. Let me give you some free advice, and you don't have to go to the love and respect class to get this, but guys, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? <laughs> and guys, it doesn't matter how practical or frugal that you think she is, it's not just the thought that counts. Whatever, whoever's told you that it's just the thought that counts, this is not a time for you to test out the theory that it's just the thought that counts. I can't tell you what your significant other's love language is, but I can tell you you should probably start with chocolate, and you can also try flowers and a spa day, and one of those is likely to work. Can I get an amen from someone here in the room? I figure some of the ladies would be excited about that. Good intentions aren't enough. It's not enough in our relationships with each other. It's not enough in our relationships with God, and it's not enough when it comes to being a neighbor. This last week was an annual milestone. Every, every year at this time, this is the week when 85% of the people give up on their New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> new year, new you, but all of a sudden you realize, no, it's the same me, it's just a new year. <laughs> they quit on their intentions of doing something different. Why? Because good intentions aren't enough. A resolution isn't enough if there's not something deeper, a bigger change that happens on the inside. In the 18th century, James Boswell said that hell is paved with good intentions. Our actions have to be followed through in order for the intention to become a reality. Human nature often doesn't do what is right. We justify. We say, well, I would, but you know what? If I did that, I'd throw the whole temple into a frenzy because then I could possibly be unclean. I don't know if he's dead or not. You know, we make all these excuses, and we make them holy excuses. They sound really spiritual, right? How many of you have ever heard a holy excuse? A really spiritual-sounding reason why you shouldn't do something that you know that you probably should do. Well, James, the book of James in the Bible, 4.17, tells us this is sin. He says, to the one that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him is, it is sin. Even, even knowing that Jesus said that loving our neighbor as ourself is, is the greatest command next to loving God with everything that we have. 
And so when we know the right thing to do and we choose to not do it, when we know that there's a neighbor that's in need, when we know that there's someone that we just, they're in the ditch and we can help, we can make a difference. When we make excuses and we say, oh, I have every intention, I, I would if I could, if it, if it weren't for this, what we're doing is we're choosing not to act and in choosing not to act, our actions are very loud. As a church, we're often full of good intentions. Churches are often full of people who desire to grow and obey the Lord, but they don't follow through because of what we label as good intentions or practical reasons. Why this is not the right time that God would have me to do this, or this can't be the thing that God wants. And these intentions, like I said, they're just holy sounding excuses oftentimes. But you know what? No one would know about the Good Samaritan if he had stopped with good intentions. Sometimes all it takes for us to make a difference is to walk across the street. But the question is, will we? We have to do more than talk. We have to determine that whatever I planned, whatever else is going on in the temple, it's not more important than loving my neighbor. Yes, my duty to God, by, by serving him with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul, all of my strength, this is important. Equally as important as helping the neighbor in the ditch. But we don't, we don't connect those two things. Loving our neighbor and loving our city, it's not a program, a focus, or an event. It's a responsibility. Yes, things like this matter. Yes, God can use these little cards, an invitation. They can use a Facebook share of an event to bring someone to his house, to bring him to knowledge with him. But you know what he wants to use more than even those things, even the events and all these things that aren't bad in themselves? But that's not fulfilling what God's called us to do in simply loving our neighbor. If we would love our neighbor, it would go so much even further. Even these things would have way more effectiveness if we would love our neighbor all the time, not just, oh, I'm going to invite him to church tomorrow, so I better be nice to him today. <laughs> better not make that hand gesture when I pull into my driveway today because I want to invite him to Wild Spirit Sunday next week, right? You know, our church has a relationship with our city, and along with a relationship comes responsibility. Yeah, this week, John Mark and I watched the new Spider-Man movie, and we heard the, the famous Spider-Man quote. I feel like there's a million different versions of Spider-Man, but, but all of them kind of contain the quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, you know what else? With relationship comes responsibility, and, and our church has a relationship with our city. We're a part of our city, not for what our city can give to us, but because we want to contribute to this being an incredible city. We want to, we want to be a part of what makes Laramie a great place to live. We want to love and serve our city. So as a result of the relationship with our city, we have a responsibility to love and serve our city and to love our neighbor. If we're, care if we're not careful, we get to the place that we're so spiritually minded that we're of no earthly good. It has to be more than good intentions. It has to be more than saying, well, I wish I could, but. You know, in the last year, the faith community nationwide was criticized for a certain statement that was said oftentimes in the face of tragedies that's kind of become the go-to and, and, and the statement was, you know, we're sending our thoughts and prayers. And the criticism about this statement wrongly devalued the effectiveness of prayer because prayer does matter and it does, it does make a difference. But in all reality, sometimes as a church, we've used this thoughts and prayers as an excuse to do nothing else. We've used it not as uh, that, that even we're praying, because oftentimes it's easy to say it and harder to even ever pray the prayer. But what's worse than that is that we use it as a way to just disguise our good intentions with a spiritual name. 
Sometimes the things that we complain about and that we say that our city or our neighborhood, someone needs to do something about that. Someone needs to do something about the violence in schools or someone needs to do something about the kids in foster care or homelessness or poverty or, or someone needs to do something about substance abuse in our county. Well, maybe God's calling you to be a part of the solution to the problem that's around you. Maybe God's calling you to love your neighbor that's in foster care, that's dealing with substance abuse, that's in the ditch and struggling with one situation or another. Maybe God's calling you to do more than just send thoughts or prayers, but to be part of the solution. Loving our neighbor is about more than good intentions. And while prayer matters, and yes, we should pray, and we ended our service last week saying, God loves this city and we love our city. Let's pray for our city. Faith without action is dead. Unless we take the next step and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to be a part of the solution, then we're really not fulfilling what God intended when he said that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm sure that the priest sent thoughts and prayers to the man in the ditch as he crossed to the other side of the road. I'll move on. This semester, as you're going through your college classes, as you're involved at Chi Alpha, as you're involved at the University of Wyoming, this semester, as you're at high school and middle school and different places, when you're at work, what is it that God's calling you to do? Who is it that he's bringing to your attention? What neighbor is there that you're supposed to love and serve? And maybe they look completely different than you. I love that God chose to use a Samaritan to be the solution to the problem when if it was the Samaritan in the ditch, no one would have ever thought about helping. Who is it? Maybe they think differently than you. Maybe they believe differently than you. Maybe they look differently than you, speak differently than you. But maybe God wants to use you as a part of a solution to something going on in their life. This week I, I met a friend named Yasser and Yasser and I began to talk and we began to talk about this building in this church and the previous building that we were in. And before I knew it, Yasser told me, he said, I, I have a friend at your church and he's one of the best guys that I know. He's a good guy. He's an honest and a good man. I know Ace. Do you know Ace? I said, of course I know Ace. Ace is, is a good man, an honest man. And here's a guy that is different from me. I don't know his history, his background. I don't even know how you guys met, but you made an impact in, in Yasser's life. And he knows who you are. It's an incredible thing. We can do that. The problem is that good intentions often cause humankind to act in ways that are far from human and much further from being kind. That's what the priest and the Levite did that day. Another reason that possibly played a part in the indifference by the priest and the Levite and in our lives today is inconveniences. We talk about all the trouble the priest would have had to go through if he had helped. It, was, it would have been an inconvenience. It would have been inconvenient to him, to the temple, and to the community, and even for the Levite to, to a lesser extent, but it certainly would have inconvenienced him. Think about it. You're walking 18 miles on a rough road down this steep 3,300-foot descent. What's to keep them from being the next victim? Helping a person in need was going to be inconvenient. Loving our neighbor and loving our city are often going to be inconvenient. It's funny, we have cell phones. Yesterday I went to Union Wireless to, uh, I'm going to say, look at, not lust, over the, new, the newest, latest, and greatest phone, right? You know you can spend $1,000 on a cell phone, and I wanted to yesterday. I was like, where am I going to get the $1,000 from, you know? It's, it's crazy and incredible um, prices of phones, but they're beautiful and they do amazing things. And you might as well be on Star Trek and beam me up, Scotty. That's the next, like, the next release that's coming out. Apple will have it soon. But we have these cell phones that conveniently connect us to people 
that are far away from us, and if we're not careful, at the very same time, they disconnect us from family and neighbors. So that was my consolation as I didn't buy the phone yesterday and left. I said, oh, I'll just not have the new phone and be way more connected to the people that are close to me. And then I thought about how I can get that phone quickly. <laughs> it's funny, the things that we allow, inconveniences that we tolerate and the ones that we don't. Mark Batterson, he wrote about this story of the Good Samaritan in one of his books, and he said this, most of us follow Jesus only to the point of inconvenience, but no further. We're more than willing to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't detour our plans. But it was the willingness to be inconvenienced that defined the Good Samaritan. And that's how he became someone else's miracle. Who is it that's waiting for you to become their miracle? Who is it that's in the ditch today and it would be really inconvenient for you to take the detour, to be involved? But without it, there's no one else that's going to walk across the street. Think about some of the regular inconveniences in our lives. We get inconvenienced when someone, as we're about to pull into a parking spot, takes our spot, right? The high school is the worst place in town, man. People are fighting over spots there. They got a driver's license two weeks ago, and they're like, that's my parking spot. Watch this. I'm like, whoa. We get inconvenienced by that. Someone cuts in front of you in line somewhere. Or, or how about this one? You've got 10 minutes to get to work, and you're like, ah. Uh, I got time to go to Starbucks and get a venti, right? So you pull in, you place your order, someone pulls in behind you and then the line doesn't move. And you realize that there's no way it's inconvenient. You're gonna be late to work because you're stuck in this line, you can't back out, you can't go forward. You're stuck in a drive-through line that isn't moving. There's flight delays, there's red lights, there's flat tires, all kinds of inconveniences. But most of the inconveniences in our lives are out of control except maybe the coffee addiction one. That's within our control, but we choose it anyways. When was the last time that you made a conscious choice to be inconvenienced? Because we really don't. Loving our neighbor and loving our city is a choice. Often it isn't convenient. What Jesus called us to do in loving our neighbors wasn't the most convenient thing he could have asked, but Jesus himself didn't take the convenient path. He said he came to serve and not to be served. If you look at the life of Jesus... There was a lot of inconveniences in his life. There were a lot of easier ways. If we were coming up with a way for us to save the world, we probably would not have chosen the inconvenient path that Jesus took. But we have to choose some inconveniences if we're going to make a difference and really love our neighbor. The final thing that drove the priest and the Levite to inaction and that often causes us to avoid getting involved is interruptions. Do you ever feel like you can't get anything done because of the interruptions in your life? How many of you go to Walmart at like 11 o'clock at night so that the kids can already be in bed and there's not as many people there? Yeah, until you pull in the parking lot and there's like 518 wheelers, right? The priest and the Levite had so much to do, like Isaiah 58 said last week. They were busy, busy, busy about the things of God. They were on their way to the temple. It's too easy to get distracted, especially on an 18-mile hike. If you chase every bunny and half-dead man, you'll never get to Jerusalem, right? These are the things we tell ourselves. What the priest and the Levite didn't understand, and often we miss as well, is that life's interruptions are often divine opportunities. They're God's invitations to something greater than we can see in the moment. What we call interruptions to our plans are often God's course corrections, allowing us to embrace what he would have had us to do in the first place. How many times was Jesus interrupted and how did he respond? 
We talked about him choosing the inconvenient path. But think for a minute about the literal interruptions to Jesus' life. The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus was going somewhere, but he said, someone touched me. It was an interruption from the journey. Jesus is going on another trip, walking, walking everywhere. He gets to a tree and there's this little guy up in the tree, so he has to stop his journey. In fact, he doesn't even hesitate to take a detour to Zacchaeus' house because there was something that was more important that needed to happen. Jairus interrupted Jesus at the temple about his dying daughter. Jesus was teaching another time and he was interrupted by a man being lowered from the roof. Like, are you serious right now? What kind of crazy interruptions? Jesus couldn't even die without the interruption of a criminal on the cross next to him saying, hey, excuse me, could you remember me when you get to heaven? Jesus' entire life was a series of interruptions. But it was those interruptions that Jesus turned not into a frustration, but into an opportunity for the miraculous to take place. You know what? The church isn't just here in this room. God has called us to be his hands and feet, to represent him to a world that's lost and dying and in need. They're in the ditch, half dead. They need something that we can provide. God hasn't called us just to be the church right here in this room and in the classrooms of this building. And when we gather together, when we go to conferences and trips, all those things are good. But the church is out there. It's everywhere we go. The church is on the University of Wyoming campus when you start classes this week. The church is at your high school. The church is at the middle school and in your sports teams and your basketball team and your football huddle. The church is at work when you clock in and when you clock out. The church is on, on an 18-mile road between where you're coming from and where you're going to. And God wants to use you to be the church in those places if you're willing. If Jesus could be interrupted, shouldn't we be willing to be interrupted as well? Loving people the way Jesus did means a life of constant interruptions. Are you willing to let Jesus interrupt your schedule? Because you see, we often say, I'm going, I'm going to church. I'm focused on what he wants me to do, so I can't be distracted. We don't realize, he said, whatever you do, the least of these you've done to me. It's Jesus that's wanting to interrupt. It's Jesus that's wanting to course correct. It's Jesus that's saying, hey, there's someone over here that needs you to be me to them today. Jesse, if you go ahead and come. If we're going to love our city and love our neighbor, then we're going to have to begin to see life's interruptions as God's invitations to something greater. God wants to use you to do something for somebody, and it's going to cost you something. It may be an inconvenience. It may be an interruption to what you had planned. But if you trust that God's plan is greater, and if you realize that loving God with all that you have, all your heart and mind and your soul and your strength, is the same as loving your neighbor as yourself. I want you to take inventory of your life today. We're going to conclude in just a minute. I want us to take one moment. Some of you have your worship guides here, and on the back of that there's a place kind of to write down some things. Maybe you've been taking notes of the sermon, or maybe you never have, but maybe you can use that. I'm not going to ask you to share this or turn this in. This is private between you and the Lord. But I wonder, what are some areas of our lives that we've allowed good intentions to take the place of action. That we said, oh, well, I, I love the Lord and I, I go to church or I serve in this area or that area. What are some areas that we've avoided the inconveniences because it would just take too much? It would cost us more than we're really willing to pay, but maybe God's calling us to be inconvenienced for the sake of our neighbor. 
What are some areas in your life where you've tried really hard to avoid the interruptions but now as you're realizing what God's talking about with the story of the Good Samaritan, you're realizing maybe in avoiding some, some interruptions, you've avoided some invitations from God to love your neighbor. If you want to know how to neighbor, this is how we do it. It's got to be more than good intentions. At times, we're going to be inconvenienced. Sometimes it's going to involve interruptions. But without that, we're going to miss what God wants us to do. Sometimes all it takes is for us just to simply walk across the street. But are we willing to go? Jesse's going to lead us in the song. I want you to just take inventory. Maybe write down a couple things. I'll come back and conclude in just a minute. Just think about what God's speaking to you, what the words of the song are speaking to you, and then, then we'll conclude here in just a second. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my to act 
was he reversed the question and he said, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? The Good Samaritan, he goes above and beyond and he saves a life. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, but isn't that also what Jesus did for us? Isn't that the story of the gospel? That we were wrecked and robbed and left for dead. We were too messy for even the most religious. Too much trouble for anyone to help. But kindness finds its way into the messiest of places. And true love came down from the most unexpected place. A love that we couldn't have earned, that we didn't deserve. Jesus saw our suffering and our sin and our sickness and he came to us and he saved us and he restored us and he paid the full price for everything that we needed. He took mankind at our worst and he elevates us to God's best. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not only to us, but to others. And so today I want to give you two opportunities and invitations today. Today, if you're here and Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, I want to just give you a simple opportunity to make that right. To respond to the love of a Savior that says, you know what, when you were still in sin, the Bible says when we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. That's when he chose to pour out his love for us, when we were messed up, when we were in the messiest of places. So today, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. There's nothing special or magical about these words. The Bible simply tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so before we go any further, before we can be a neighbor, we have to respond to the love of God first ourselves. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you that while I was far away, you loved me. You sent Jesus for me. Today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that when you died on the cross, you died for my sins. And today I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer today and you said, you know what, when I walked in here today, I don't know that I was in a right relationship with Christ, but I prayed that prayer, and this is the beginning of that relationship with him. Would you just raise your hand and say, today I prayed that prayer and made Jesus the Lord of my life. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else today? Awesome. Awesome. Would you guys just put your hands together and celebrate what God did? Several in the first service, several today in this service. It begins there. It doesn't end when we pray that prayer. It doesn't end when we begin the relationship. It's just the beginning of all that God wants to do. If it was the case that that was all there was to it, then we would just pray the prayer and lock ourselves in a room. No internet, no media, no way to sin. We could just... But so we don't realize that when we lock ourselves in the church, when we lock ourselves in a room, we are sinning because we're not doing the good that we know we're supposed to do. God loved us. He created a way for relationship with him, and he wants us to take that to the neighbor that's in need. So what's the secret on how to neighbor? Well, loving our city means that we have to have more than good intentions. It means we have to be willing to be inconvenienced, and we have to embrace interruptions as God's invitations to show kindness. <coughs> Will you commit to more than good intentions this week? Will you allow yourself to be inconvenienced and interrupted? And when you find yourself becoming frustrated at the interruptions, remember, what is God wanting to do through me? Who is God wanting me to talk to and share? Who is God wanting me to show kindness to and 
yeah, maybe it's going to ruin my whole plan for the day, but maybe this is God's plan for the day. God's called us to be Jesus with skin on to a world in need. Will you serve? Will you love your city? Will you love your neighbor this week? I want us to make a declaration that I'm just one person, but I am one person. I can't do everything, but I can do something. So I refuse to let the things I can't do interfere with the things I can do. Will you make that declaration? I'm going to say it. You guys repeat after me. I'm just one person. I'm just one person. But I am one person. I can't do everything. I can't do everything. But I can do something. But I can do something. So I refuse. So I refuse. To let the things I can't do. To let the things I can't do. Interfere. Interfere. With the things I can do. Jesus didn't just say how, who to neighbor. He taught us how to neighbor. Sometimes all it takes is being willing to walk across the street. God, I thank you so much for what you've done and what you've spoken here. I pray that this would not be a message that we just hear and are challenged by, but we walk out the door and it doesn't become a part of our lives. God, if we're truly going to love our city, if we're truly going to care about people that are around us, and God, it has to begin with taking action. So God, I pray that as we walk out the doors, maybe as we get in the car and take a, a short trip back into town, we're going to have an opportunity. Maybe at lunch today, we're going to have opportunities. Maybe as we prepare to go to school or to work tomorrow, God, there's opportunities all around us. There's people that are in need. Help us to be willing to get into the ditch and make a difference in someone's life. God, help us to be your hands and your feet to a world in need. God, it's, it's not just about what happens here. It's not just about us receiving and receiving and eating and eating and eating. God, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to be a part of a great church family. We're thankful that you speak to us and you minister to us and you do incredible things in our lives. But God, you've called us to be a city on a hill, to be the salt and the light of our city. So God, if we don't do it, who will? Help us to respond. Help us to be willing to walk across the street, to serve and to love. Lord, even when it's undeserved, even when we see people that are different than us, as the Samaritan did when he saw the Jewish man in trouble, God, help us to serve without prejudice, without consideration of who it is. Or, Lord, we just want to love people like you love people, all people. Lord, help us to serve in the way that you served us and to give in the way that you gave to us sacrificially. We thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.